Welcome back to Takus McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour. I'm Tim Takus, and today we're talking about advanced directives. What happens if you don't have one? What happens then? What if you've got one and no one knows about it? Oh, yeah. I'm Barbara McGinnis, and in this episode or this segment, we're going to be talking with an emergency room physician. What happens when you show up in the emergency room? Sometimes that's the first time you think about an advanced directive. What do they need to know? Dr. Lavanani is the emergency room physician from Northcrest, which is in Springfield, Tennessee. Good morning, Good Dr. Anani. Thank you for being here. No problem. So when somebody shows up in the ER, do you, are you actually thinking about advanced directives? What do you do first? The first thing we do when people show up in the emergency department is take care of them. We have mm -hmm. to figure out what the problem is, and once we have a problem and we can identify it, then we start to think of a solution. So before we start thinking about advanced directives, I need to know what am I solving exactly. Yeah. Right. You're doing what triage or whatever it is exactly. that you Exactly. Those it. ABCs we hear about all the time from the first day of medical school. Is the airway okay? Are you breathing okay? How is the circulatory and heart system doing? Right. And once we know all of those are stable, then we can move on to well, do we have some advanced directives or guidelines that we can follow and make sure that we follow the patient's will? Mm -hmm. So what if there is not a, an advanced directive or you don't know that there is one and no known person has a healthcare power of attorney? Basically, you're, you're, you're flying on your own. <laughs> okay. When we're flying on our own, we like to put things in an autopilot like most pilots, which is doing what's ethically sound. So we will do what's best for the patient and what's best for the family. So in most cases, that is placing people on life support because we as human beings de deem life better than death which I personally appreciate myself right. um, so in those cases we will always do that first unless we think it's just a patient who's in a terminally ill status and has a terminally ill disease or the wound or the emergency is just too fatal sometimes we'll deem that more ethically appropriate than you know several hours of CPR or breathing tubes right. um, to what extent does age play a part in decision-making does it affect that Age does affect it, and it uh -huh. sounds harsh to say it sometimes, mm -hmm. but only affects it when we're trying to do what's best for the patient. Um, so an example is I like to use um, your aorta, which is a very large blood vessel that carries the majority of blood in your body. If you're 98 and there's a hole in that, the surgery to fix that can be very long, can be very rough, and can put your body through kind of a worse state than that it's actually in. When you're 28 and there's a hole in your aorta, you can survive that surgery and get back to a full life. So sometimes we do use age as a factor into what intervention we want to do next. Mm -hmm. That's just calculating probabilities, mm -hmm. so I guess just yeah. what, you, what you would ordinarily do anyway as a yes. physician. And we always like to say you have to assess the risk and the benefit, and the benefit has mm -hmm. to outweigh the risk every time. Yeah. Okay, so, so someone has, and I'm, I'm, we're playing riddle this now, <laughs> doctor. Um, so let's say there is a healthcare power of attorney mm -hmm. because the patient walks in or comes in, you know, and he's got it in his pocket, mm -hmm. you know, and you're trying to call somebody and you can't reach them. What do you do then? Well, if we try to call and we can't uh -huh. reach, uh -huh. um, sometimes we hope there's a second person listed. Okay. Um, but if there's not, again, we will do still what's, doing the same thing. Still right? do what's ethically sound until that person arrives, and then they can start giving us direction from there. Um, right. But we want to make sure that there's mm -hmm. somebody still there and alive when that healthcare um, attorney or agent arrives in their place. Right. Well. Can a family member make a decision for someone that would supersede uh, a document? Yes. Um, yes. Usually we actually lean on the family for decisions, um, okay. but it depends on what they're trying to supersede. Um, so if somebody the day before signs a do not resuscitate form, mm -hmm. and then I see them the next day and they need to be resuscitated, 
I usually follow the form in that case because the family member, if they're not listed as the health care power of attorney, may not even know. May not even know. Um, if they are listed as the health care power of attorney, I'm going to follow them because they're supposed to be the person who knows the patient the best. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. in those cases, we will lean on the family member more. Um, but if they don't know, then I will go with what the patient signed and thought was best for them when they were in a calm state. Right. So that kind of like begs the question then is suppose that you've got someone, you know, a patient comes in, you know, and obviously maybe the patient is non-responsive, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got a healthcare power of attorney which says this or says that or an advanced directive, mm -hmm. you know, and the, and, and the patient's representative, the healthcare agent wants to do something else. Can they do that? They can do that okay. um, because you have put your full agency in that person over the document. Gotcha. Um, a lot of times documents can become old, they can be signed right. two, three, four years ago, and things can change. And we hope that healthcare power of attorney or agent not only knows you best, knows your situation best. Um, that please, sounds like a good thing. It sounds like a good thing. Um, you'll be surprised, we trust humans over documents and papers. But yeah. we really like to make sure they know what they're doing. So it will be a long conversation. We will make sure to go over every single risk mm -hmm. and benefit with them and make sure yeah. that they have all the information necessary. Right. And because families don't show up one at a time and mm -hmm. stand in line and go, I'm, I'm number one, I'm the first person <laughs> you need to talk to, Dr. Mm -hmm. Anani. How do you make the decision? I mean, you're standing there looking at a, a, maybe a group of people. Yeah. Who do you listen to? Well, um, in ethics and the state of Tennessee, there is a hierarchy, for lack of better words. Okay, good. We yeah. need to know this. <laughs> yeah, I think so, we know it, but I think our viewers yeah. need to know this. I like to follow the simple form. Um, healthcare power of attorney is number one. Yep. So you could have been the wife for 50 years, but if the first daughter was named healthcare power of attorney, that's who we're going to follow. Gotcha. Um, then next will be spouse, and then next is usually eldest child, and then sibling, mother, father, going on down that route. Yeah. Um, so we tend to follow that order, but if the youngest daughter is the person who arrives first, and I need a decision in five minutes, and the wife's ten minutes away, you're going to do I'm that. I'm going to do that one. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, because I understand, um, or we understand that. It, uh, that under Tennessee law, mm -hmm. you know, that, that the physician or the provider can actually pick somebody. Mm -hmm. We are on that list ourselves as uh, physicians yeah. and healthcare mm -hmm. providers. Um, and we can pick someone if we feel they not only understand the risks and benefits best, um, but if they have the best level of comprehension. So if your okay. wife is there, but she unfortunately has Alzheimer's, I would think in that case, the oldest child would be the best candidate. And I will follow their direction over the wife's. Right. And I guess do you note that down and whatever. Yes. Mostly, most likely, you're going to do that. Or you're going to you're going to chart that. I like to believe whatever I chart, five lawyers will be reading it afterwards, <laughs> and I document as such. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, so as lawyers or as potential patients in an ER one day, what mm -hmm. can we do to make your life easier? To make my life easier, I like to say you have those forms, you have them available, and everyone understands why you chose what you chose on those forms. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever you go to update those forms contact your healthcare power of attorney, especially if they're not in the same state or same city, let them know, you know, hey, I've updated my form this month or this year, I don't want to be resuscitated. Two years from now, you're allowed to change your mind and say I do, right. but yeah. make sure everyone's aware. Right, and it sounds like what Dr. Dallas said was is that you have an annual wellness visit, mm -hmm. You have a welcome to Medicare exam. Maybe that's an opportunity because you're not seeing those patients. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, maybe you'll know that, okay, this is a patient of Dr. Dallas. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can call Dr. Dallas's office and mm -hmm. say, can you send over the, you know, who knows. Mm -hmm. but, 
But I think that sounds like what you're really hoping for yes. is, is a regular conversation. Yeah. Yes, you want to keep that as up to date. Um, you have to renew your car insurance every year, you have to renew your house insurance, you should renew these forms as well. Oh, mm -hmm. that sounds like a great place to keep an advanced directive or at least a copy of mm -hmm. it in the glove box with, yep. your, with your registration mm -hmm. papers. Um, so like our advanced directive mm -hmm. that names a power of attorney mm -hmm. agent would have our office phone number on there. Mm -hmm. uh, has the people, should it have the people's phone number, like a contact information? Like when I say people, the agent. Yes. Yeah. I would appreciate Some way that. to keep it on there. Yes, yeah. um, because if you are incapacitated and it says, you know, my healthcare power of yeah. attorney is gonna be Lovanani, if I can't contact Lovanani, that information doesn't really help me. Right. So either a quick number, one yeah. or two, I know you, you can't list everyone. You don't want to be Facebooking them or exactly. something like <laughs> right. that. Right, it's yeah. not the time. Trying to find them, yeah. We have done that before. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yes, Google, wow. um, Facebook, yeah. you know, whatever we can do to make sure we're doing the right thing to get you the care that you would appreciate. Right. We've got one minute left. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna put your contact information up. Any cautionary tales that you want to um, share with the audience? I will say we've talked about it and I want to reiterate it with the tale. Um, as a emergency room physician, I have seen patients who updated their form um, or at least updated with their wishes to the healthcare power of attorney and did not update their form. So then we have a form that says do not resuscitate and a power of attorney that says do everything possible. Yeah. It can be very difficult when other family yeah. members show up. So make sure you please get in contact with your lawyers, your healthcare power of attorneys, anyone in your family, make sure they know your wishes. Right. In short, it's called communication. <laughs> yes, yes. And to everybody, the yes. people that need to know. Mm -hmm. Well, we're gonna be back after break and we're gonna be talking with someone from hospice services. So that sort of, Mm -hmm. is, is an important phase in this uh, treatment and how they work with advanced directives. Stay tuned.